Luke chapter eleven, verse one to thirteen. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples." And he said to them, "When you pray, say, 'Father, hallowed be your name; your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation.'" And he said to them, "Which of you who has a friend?" Will go to him at midnight and say to him, "Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him." And he will answer from within, "Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything." I tell you. Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you; seek, and you will find; knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Just over a month ago, on June the fifth, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. You may recall that. I don't know whether we celebrated it here. I, I wasn't here. I was somewhere else at the time. But、uh, whether it was uh, uh, mentioned, but it was on the fifth of June. On that day, we remember. The answer to the thing Jesus tells us to pray for in verse 13 of the passage it was just given that the Father has given the Holy Spirit to us. We celebrate the fact that Christ is actually in us; that He's in the church. He's working wonders. Heaven has come down, invading our planet by invading God's people. The beginning of the end has, in fact, come upon us, and all that is hateful, ugly, and untrue. Is being upended. That work has been in the works for 2,000 years since the day of Pentecost. Now I know that it's hard to believe this sometimes, given current events, together with our often lackluster performance as the people who are filled with the Spirit. We often live as if Pentecost hasn't actually happened, as if the Holy Spirit has not been given. And there are lots of reasons for why we do that, but let me give you just one of them. We aren't regularly showing up at the places where the Spirit of Christ has promised to meet with us, and to equip us, and to change us. 
And those places which Scott has spent the last month talking about are FWPSM, F-W-P-S-M, fellowship, the word, prayer, the sacraments, and a missional life. With Scott's permission, I'm going to return to the third of those, to P, to prayer, and camp out there with you for the next three weeks. We'll take a close look at three different types of life-changing prayer. First, supplication, asking for things. That's what we'll be talking about today. And then confession next week, coming clean with God about what isn't yet right about us. And then finally, adoration, celebrating who God is. Well, think about supplication with you. That's why I wanted to pick this uh, passage in which Jesus talks about praying a good bit and gives us Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Praying, it seems to me, and perhaps to you, should be as easy as talking, since that, in a sense, is what it is, essentially what it is. But sadly, it isn't. Praying is one of the most difficult things to do with any consistency and energy. And let me just drive that home by asking you to do a little bit of an inventory right now about your last week. How many minutes, count them, did you spend praying last week? Do the math in your head. How many minutes did you spend praying on your own? How many minutes did you spend praying together with your home fellowship group in community uh, with your housemate, friend, or family? Do the math, okay? You got the number in your head? 20 minutes? 12 minutes, 62 and a half minutes, you know, whatever it is, I want you to think very concretely about your life last week. How many minutes did you pray? So with that number in mind, uh, compare that answer to how many minutes you spent exercising, playing video games, surfing the net, answering emails, and eating. Now my point is this, when and if time opens up for us, when we get a break from work or from significant relationships, friends or spouses or kids, we tend to gravitate towards anything and everything except praying. That's a tendency. I'm not saying we're all, you know, horrific prayers, but that is a tendency in our own lives. Um, I want to help us to resist gravity. <laughs> resist that gravitational pull away from talking to God, of getting in touch with him, by giving three reasons to pray that come out of the passage in Luke 11 that Sonny just read to us. The first is that Jesus prayed. That should be an incentive. And he prays now. He continues to pray in and for us and with us. Secondly, there's a whole lot to pray for. And thirdly, the Father answers prayer. So let's look at each of those things. First of all, we get to pray because Jesus did and does. Verse 1 in the passage before us. The first thing, the way it opens, is with an account of Jesus praying, not with him telling us how to pray. We read, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, this is so interesting. Jesus doesn't guilt his disciples here into praying. He does, of course, urge us all to pray, but here, and most of the time, he simply leads us to pray by doing it himself. Our interest in praying grows out of his example. Now, you might be 
if you're following me, might be pushing back right now at what I've just said. We object, perhaps, by saying, well, Jesus' example is not much of an incentive to us. After all, he was the Son of God. Praying came naturally to him, and his prayers, unlike ours, were always answered. Well, let me push back to that, against that pushback. I respond by reminding myself and us all that Jesus was not just fully God, but he was fully human. He was subject to all of the distractions, bar none, and all of the temptations, bar none, uh, we, are, we face, including the temptation not to pray. Think about it. Jesus saw far more vividly than we do the enormous gap between what is and what should be. The gap that often leads us to give up on praying. You know, I prayed for this and it didn't happen. I prayed for it again and it didn't happen. I prayed for it a third time and it didn't happen. I prayed for the war in Ukraine to end over and over and over and over again and it's still going on. So why keep praying? You ever have that sort of thing go through your head? Uh, the, the gap between what is and what ought to be is enormous, and it doesn't seem to be shifting. The needle doesn't seem to be. But Jesus, who saw that gap far more vividly than you and I do, kept praying. Here's another thing to note. His prayers were not, in fact, always answered. He prayed for God's kingdom to come, and yet Roman oppression continued unchecked during his lifetime. In fact, Jesus was killed under Roman oppression, despite his earnest prayers to be delivered. We're told, thirdly, in Hebrews 7.25, that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us, that Jesus prays for us right now. He prays for us all the time. He prays for us, and he prays for our world. And yet, what's going on? We continue status quo, it seems. We continue weak. We continue often unhealed, still prone to selfishness and even cruelty. Putin continues shelling Ukraine and school shootings keep breaking our hearts. But still, Jesus prays. He keeps praying and he invites us by his patient example to do exactly the same thing, to roll up our sleeves and join him in the task the powerful task of interceding over our world. I belong to a singing group, a somewhat mediocre singing group. Twice every year, as we draw near to our performances, we begin to panic and despair over the quality of our sound. And then miraculously... Miraculously, at the dress rehearsal and the rehearsal just before it, we begin to sound pretty good. But there's a reason for this. The reason is that our director brings in ringers to those final two rehearsals, professionals who can learn their parts immediately and sing them with great beauty, and they bring us up toward par, not to par, but at least toward par. Well, think about praying this way. They, um, when, when we pray, whenever we pray, there is a ringer praying with us. There's a ringer praying in us. There's a ringer praying for us. The Spirit of Christ who intercedes for us and in us, as Paul puts it in Romans 8.26, with groanings too deep for words. And Jesus is the greatest prayer of all time. 
With Jesus in the ensemble, our prayers cannot help but get better and better over time. And they get through. And so ask him. And thank him for his help. Ask for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, whom the Father is more than eager to send, verse 13, so that our prayers become more and more alive with the agenda and the heart of God himself and of Christ himself. So that's the first thing. We really do have help in our praying. That's a great incentive to know that you, are never, you never pray by yourself. Never, ever, ever. There's this person who's in you and with you who's praying as you pray. Here's the second thing. We get to pray secondly because there are so many good and important things to pray for. There's so much to pray for. Verses 2 to 4, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus said to them, they said, teach us to pray. And he taught them. This is what he said. And he gave them a template for praying. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now notice three things. Notice the comprehensiveness, the depth and the breadth that's in these simple few words in this template that we have. Notice how comprehensive it is. It covers all the personal necessities of life. The need for food, the need for forgiveness, and the need for change. Daily bread means the steady supply of food and by extension, shelter, clothing, etc. All of the necessities of life. Forgiveness addresses the problem of guilt and the separations that guilt creates between God and us, as well as the separations between each other, among each other. And then deliverance from temptation. We get to pray. The Lord wants us to pray. Lord, change me. I don't just want to be forgiven. Yeah, I'm forgiven, but I don't want to just be forgiven. I want to be different. I want to be different. I'm so tired of having to ask forgiveness for the same thing over and over and over again. We want to change. And Jesus includes that in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us away from the things that cause us to fall. Jesus is not super spiritual, only concerned about spiritual matters. He's the God of the specifics, refusing to leave anything out. None of our social, practical, moral, and psychological needs is off limits to him. Together with our children and friends, we can bring the smallest detail and concern to the Father through him. That's what he's telling us in the Lord's Prayer to do. Leave nothing uncovered. Nothing. I, I have a friend named Charlie. Now, I'm not being modest and talking about myself. This really is a different Charlie than this one. I have a friend named Charlie who prays a lot. Um, it is so natural to him, in fact, that often in the midst of a conversation, he will abruptly offer up a prayer. Right in the middle of talking, boom, he suddenly goes vertical. He, now, he doesn't make a big deal out of it out of it. He doesn't kneel. He doesn't take off his hat or moan or shout or do anything weird or embarrassing. He simply goes vertical for a moment, for maybe a sentence, maybe a phrase, in, including the Lord in what we are discussing. And then as abruptly we are back in horizontal mode. Boom, boom. Just like that. Boom, boom. Charlie reminds me that everything matters to the Lord. Everything you talk about, everything you think about, it matters to him. Helmut Tillicke writes, tell me how lofty God is for you 
and I'll tell you how little he really means to you. If God has no significance for the tiny mosaic pieces of my little life and for the things that concern me, then he doesn't concern me at all. He's just an abstraction. So that's the first thing. Jesus says, pray comprehensively. Jesus' prayer runs deeper than the personal issues we just listed. Hallowed be your name. Think about that. Hallowed be your name means cause who you really are to be known. Cause who you really are to be loved. God's name is himself. It's his character. And it's the agenda that flows out of his character. To pray these words of Jesus is to say, Lord, I long for, I long to have every false, every imperfect, every merely convenient view of you purged from human imagination everywhere, including my own imagination. It is to say further, Lord, plant in my heart and in the heart of those I love a deep love for who you actually are. I am not content that we have correct ideas about you any more than I want us simply to have correct information about our close friends or spouses. I want us all, including me, actually to enjoy you, to love contemplating who you actually are, not only to get it right, but to love it. That's what's involved in praying, hallowed be your name. I want to be glad in your company. I want my kids to be glad in your company. Think of how praying, hallowed be your name, might affect how we pray for our children or for a friend who's going through a hard time or for the devastated communities in Buffalo, Uvalde, Highland Park, and Ukraine. Certainly, certainly, if we care at all, and we do, we will pray, Lord, remove this particular hardship. Oh, Lord, please moderate the pain in the lives of these people. But, 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 if we stop there, we will shortchange them. We will not be praying deeply enough for them. We will want to pray for them more deeply. We'll need to pray something like this. Lord, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, through this hardship, in the midst of this horrific hardship, hallow your name. Lord, show them who you are more vividly. Awaken their faith if it's not there. Increase their faith if it is there but small. Lord, build their nobility and their patience and their love. Make them, in other words, more like you so that you are seen and known and loved and hallowed by them, by their behavior, by their joy, by the way in which they live. Think, change, Lord, their appetites. Change their appetites. I prayed that for my kids constantly when they were growing up. If their appetites don't change, no matter what you do to reform their behavior, it will not be effective. Lord, change their appetites so that they love more deeply what you love and hate more deeply what you hate. Do that. Change all of our appetites. Bring us in our hearts into sync with you. Hallow your name. Make it precious, dear, holy, lovely to me, to us, to everybody in the world. 
And there's still more about this prayer I haven't even touched on yet. There's still more to note from this remarkable template for our praying. Jesus' prayer is not only deep, it's also broad. Your kingdom come. Matthew adds the the element that we know, uh, that we have memorized. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are asking here for earth to look like heaven. We're asking for nothing less than that the whole earth, in every corner, in every part, looks like, resembles, takes on heavenly quality. So that, for example, our, I'm talking about how, our, how this prayer teaches our, us to pray more broadly than we want to. So, for example, our prayer for daily bread for ourselves, which the Lord invites us to pray, expands. It expands to a prayer that hunger will end everywhere and will end forever to a prayer that the reduction in the Ukrainian wheat harvests and shipments occasioned by this horrific war will not lead to starvation in the poorer countries of the world as it is prognosticated to do. Or for another example, our prayer for forgiveness expands to a prayer that guilt and guilt-driven behavior will be wiped off the face of the earth removed from every neighbor, removed from every enemy, from every colleague, from every family member, from every world leader. And our prayer for deliverance expands to prayer for the annihilation everywhere of evil and for the motivation to do evil, the annihilation of that motivation and the reality of evil, to the end of racism, to the absolute annihilation of greed, to the end of domestic violence, to the end of oppression and political instability and violence in all of its forms, and the replacement of evil with something far more lovely and beautiful, the replacement everywhere of evil with great and widespread moral beauty and goodness. Do you ever pray for that? Do you pray that deeply, that broadly? That's what Jesus wants us to do. Nothing less than that is in the prayer agenda that he sets before us. Cornelius Plantiga helps us imagine in his book, not the way it's supposed to be, what it would look like if such broad prayers were answered. And this is what he writes. He says, nations and races would treasure differences in other nations and races as attractive, important, complementary. Business associates would rejoice in one another's promotions. (laughs) All around the world, people would stimulate and encourage one another's virtues. News feeds and social media would be filled with well-written accounts of acts of great moral beauty. Think about that. And at the end of the day, people would read these and savor them and text each other about them. Above all, Plantinga writes, God would preside in the unspeakable beauty for which human beings long, even though they don't know it, and in the mystery of holiness that draws human worship like a magnet. In turn, each human being would reflect and color the light of God's presence out of the inimitable resources of his or her own character and essence. What a, I mean, what a lovely picture. We need the Holy Spirit, you see, to baptize our imaginations. We have an imagination problem when we pray. 
And precisely because our imaginations are not baptized, we never push the boundaries on the status quo or we don't push them very hard. And we need to see what God promises, what we can't see. But, but God, the eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has the mind of man been able to imagine what God has in store for those who love him. That big, that great, that beautiful, that lovely. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. That kind of fullness. Let that baptize your imagination and then spend an hour praying that that kind of reality will break out everywhere all over the world. So, there's plainly a whole lot to pray about. And my goal in this sermon is to overwhelm you with guilt and to exhaust you even before the sermon's done. Uh, no, no. Uh, that's not my aim. There is a lot to pray about, however. So much so, in fact, that we couldn't cover it all even if we prayed all the time. And the Lord, our ensemble prayer, <laughs> The Lord understands this, and he says, look, that's okay. I'm here with you to help. I'm here to fill in the gaps. But he also very gently but very firmly says this. He says, please do get started. <laughs> please do pray a little more this week than you did last week. Pray a little more imaginatively this week than you did last week. Do push the boundaries at least a little more. Do carve out a little more time. I'm eager to meet with you. I'm eager to pray with you as we meet together in prayer, to include you in my campaign to renew and fix everything that's wrong in the world. I'm eager to change you as you join your heart to mine as you pray. Did you believe that? Do you hear Jesus saying that? I know he's saying that. Now I have one last thing to say, but it's really hot and really muggy, so I'm not going to say it. No, no, I am going to say it, but I'm going to make you stand first. Stand, stretch. You can actually talk to somebody if you want to, but not for long. You don't have to. No pressure. All right, are you stretched out? You know, mm, mm, mm. yeah. Good, all right, you're awake now? All right, now sit down. We get to pray thirdly because the Father hears. I mean, that's the burden of the stories that Jesus tells after he gives us the Lord's Prayer. He tells us these stories about the Father hearing us, about the importunate neighbor. They're all there. Because he wants us to know that the Father really does hear and care for us. God will answer. Now, maybe not right away or in the way we envision. As we noted, even Jesus is still waiting for some answers. But God will answer certainly. And how do we know that he will most certainly answer? Because he's like our fathers. Only he's better than the best of them. He is the perfect Father, the Father of all fathers, who knows precisely what we need and what our world needs and does not need to be bribed or conjoled into giving to us what we need. He does not have to be bribed or cajoled because he loves us. <laughs> he really, really does love us. Hear Jesus' words in verses 11 to 13. 
What father among you, Jesus said. These are Jesus' words. Listen to him. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I mean, this is how absurd to think that your fathers would do that to you. If you then, who are evil, less than perfect as human beings and as parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I have a friend whose adult son called him one afternoon to report that his wife had just abruptly ended the marriage. My friend, hearing his son's anguish, was brokenhearted. Shattered is the word he used at, when he talked about it to me. We have all seen pictures of the faces of parents who lost children in the recent mass shooting in Texas. Nothing compares to such grief. And yet, and yet, if Jesus is to be believed in the words that I just read to you, these parents do not love their children as much as the Heavenly Father loves you. Now, I can find this very, very hard to swallow, and you may find this very, very hard to swallow, especially when our pleas for a better world and for relief from our own troubles so often go unanswered. Why should we go on asking and seeking and knocking as Jesus urges upon us in verse 9 with the confidence of children who know that their father hears and will answer. And here's the answer, the deep answer to that question. We keep asking because God gave up his son for us. Parents dropped their children off at Robb Elementary School on May the 24th with no idea of the looming tragedy. The Heavenly Father dropped off his beloved son on planet Earth, fully aware of how horribly he would die, how horribly he would suffer in the end. Onlookers, even some parents, stood helplessly outside the school walls in Uvalde, desperately pleading that something be done. The Heavenly Father was never helpless on Good Friday. He could have intervened at any moment on Good Friday and would have if his son had summoned him, but no summons came and no action was taken. Why? 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 Because God knew that the only way to bring an end, finally and fully, to the cruelties that we endure from others and the cruelties that we inflict upon one another was for him to bear them himself together with the just punishment that they merit. The pain that God chose to endure, we cannot measure. We can't. Nor does it explain our present troubles or make them go away. It doesn't do that. But it does assure us that the Father loves us and will, in due time and his own particular way, hear and answer us beyond our wildest dreams, beyond our fullest imaginations, he will do it. Paul tells us in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And so, we can take a lesson from our children, or if we don't have children, from our nieces and nephews, or from the importunate man in the story that Jesus tells. They don't hesitate to ask for what they want. They imagine what they want, and then they ask, and they ask, and they ask, and they ask, and they ask. They badger us. God says, please badger me. Please badger me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you want us to ask and ask and ask. Lord Jesus, you made that so vivid by using three different verbs to describe the same action. Lord, would you help us? And as we pray more and more, would you help us to pray more earnestly? Help us to give more energy to it. Help us to give our imaginations to it. Don't let us settle for the status quo, Lord. Help us to join you in the overthrow of the horrific wickedness and wrongness that's all around us. It's in the air we breathe. Lord, we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.